podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Monday. It is December 11th. The sun is in the sky. It is cold, but the sun is in the sky, and we should all be happy. We should all be happy because this bizarre mutant league that we all follow just threw up four days of absolute chaos. Well, three days over four days of absolute chaos. We'll start Thursday night because, obviously, Friday's pod we recorded Thursday before the Everton-Newcastle and Tottenham-West Ham games, both of which were quite surprising. Everton 3, Newcastle 0. What a performance from Everton. What an absolute shambles from Newcastle. Now, the tune could well have won that game, but at what point do we start having a conversation about Kieran Trippier? Just hold that one for a sec. Uh, Dwight McNeil, Abdullah De- Dukure and Beto 
who managed to run probably 20 yards of the ball while falling over the entire time and still scored. Uh, and fair to say Newcastle are Nick, were, were missing Nick Pope just a little bit. Um, Tottenham went 1-0 up again and managed to lose again. Gifting opportunities left, right and centre and West Ham take advantage. So great win for Everton. Great win for West Ham. Both teams should be very pleased with those results. Everton will continue to be pleased. West Ham not so pleased when we get to them. Crystal Palace 1, Liverpool 2. Mateta scores a penalty on 57 minutes. Absolutely a penalty. No arguments. Absolutely a penalty. Not quite sure how it took them so long to give said penalty. On 75 minutes, Jordan Ayew is sent off. And this is where the controversy starts. So he was booked for not retreating from a free kick. And Van Dijk goes to take the free kick. It hits him and he gets booked. That is, by the letter of the law, by the rules of the game, the correct decision. That is a warranted yellow card. On 75 minutes, Liverpool are breaking from a Crystal Palace set piece. Harvey Elliott has the ball about 10 yards inside his own half with acres of space to run into. Ayu comes across, makes no effort to get the ball, fouls the player. It's a cynical professional foul. It's absolutely a yellow card. He gets a yellow card for it. And because he's already had one, he's off. Now, he looked really surprised. My guess is he'd either forgotten he was booked earlier in the game or hadn't realized it was for him. Because otherwise he wouldn't have made that challenge. I understand why people think it's a soft red card, but it's two yellow cards. It's absolutely the correct decision and one that should be enforced more often. Liverpool would equalise within 90 seconds. Mohamed Salah's shot was deflected in, giving Salah his 200th goal for Liverpool. Palace continued to frustrate, continued to defend, continued to do all the right things from a Roy Hodgson point of view. But on 91 minutes, Harvey Elliott picked the ball up, drove towards the edge of the Palace box, and walloped a shot that gave Remy Matthews, the sub-goalkeeper who'd come on for Palace, very little chance. And Liverpool were 2-1 up. Now, I'm sure there are people who watch that game who think Palace were hard done by. And I think that's fair. I do. But let's be honest. Liverpool had 76% of the ball in 14 shots to 24% in 8 shots. A couple of Palace's shots came very, very late on after the second goal. So I'm not really sure that Palace were as good as people made out. Liverpool were terrible. But Palace didn't really show any ambition in this game. Summed up by the fact that they had a, a flurry of late set pieces. And the goalkeeper attempted to come up for one of them and was frantically waved back towards his goal by Roy Hodgson. Now, I understand that Roy is from a different era and he still believes that he's in said different era. But in the modern game, it's pretty well accepted that you might as well lose 3-1 as 
you might as well just have a go. And sending up a goalkeeper can often just lead to a bit of a chaotic situation in the box because nobody has been assigned to pick that man up. And whether he gets on the end of it, which obviously rarely happens, or takes a defender away from somebody else who gets on the end of it, which does happen, bringing the goalkeeper up can be a useful weapon to use when you're chasing a game like that. But Roy has absolutely no ambition. And frankly, Crystal Palace need to be sitting themselves down and having a long conversation over what they want to be as a club. Because there's too much talent there for them to continue to be this poor, for them to continue to play this brand of football. Molly agrees. Molly wants Roy out. Um, Yeah, Liverpool win. Liverpool go top. That is where we stood at the final whistle. Now, for Liverpool, they have Europa League game in midweek. Doesn't matter. They're already through. They can send the ground staff if need be. Then they play Manchester United at home. Manchester United are not very good this season and Liverpool should beat them quite comfortably at home. United have one win over a team in the top half. That was 10th place Chelsea at the time, who are now 12th. So based on the current league table, United, they've beaten Fulham 1-0. And that's it. They've beaten one team that was in the top 10 when they played them. And now they've beaten a team that have moved into the top 10 since. And that's it. And they've lost seven Premier League games this season. They've got a negative goal differential through 16 games, which is embarrassing. And frankly, Liverpool should put them to the sword. After that, Liverpool play West Ham in the EFL Cup, which will be tough. Then it's Arsenal in the Premier League. Then Burnley on... Boxing Day, and then Newcastle on New Year's Day. Four Premier League games, three of which are at home. The other is against the bottom team in the league. Liverpool should be quite confident going into this period. If they get through those four games and are still top, they get three weeks to rest and recover. They have Arsenal in the FA Cup, but the league needs to be the focus for them, along with the EFL Cup and the Europa League. The FA Cup at this point is very much number four, purely because of the time of year it is. I, I, I love the FA Cup, but this year I would happily see Liverpool punt on the competition and focus in on the other three that are available to them. All going very well for Jurgen Klopp at this point. He does need to make some additions in January. Failure to do so, it would be it would be gross negligence. It really would be gross negligence. Uh, moving on then to our next game from the weekend. Wolves won, Nottingham Forest won. Forest went one up through Harry Tofolo on 14 minutes. A good header from a Nico Williams cross. Matthias Cunha equalised on 32. And from there it was... A bit of a back and forth game in which both teams had chances to win. I think it was Tofolo again had a great another great headed chance and headed over. 
Wolves will probably feel a little bit disappointed to to draw at home against Forest, but I think both teams can take something from the game in terms of things that worked out well for them. For Forrest, it was some of the changes that Steve Cooper made. For Wolves, it's the continued development of Zhao Gomes in midfield, and what a very, very good player he looks like he's going to be. The Czech Koyate did miss a really good 1v1 chance for uh, Forrest, actually, but you're not really expecting Czech Koyate to score goals. I do think... There's more to come from both of these sides, but I think Palace are, are Forest are the one who kind of desperately needs something more to come from them. Uh, Brighton won, Burnley won. Brighton will be very disappointed with their showing and with this result. Uh, Wilson Odebert scored on 45 minutes, a deflected shot that beat Verbruggen. Um, Simon Adingra finally got the equaliser for Burnley, for, for Brighton on 77 minutes. Brighton had been knocking on the door a lot. They had 29 shots in the game. Matoma had a couple of good opportunities that you would have... I suppose you would have expected him to score when he came off the bench. Um, Deserby needs to get over his fascination with playing James Milner. He really does. Uh, he hasn't been good enough to play in the Premier League for about three years. And he's getting embarrassed regularly. I don't know what kind of voodoo James Milner has over managers, but he should not be a Premier League player at this point. At some point, he's going to break Gareth Barry's record and it's going to be utterly meaningless because... Gareth Barry was still a decent Premier League player up until the day he stepped out of the Premier League. James Milner hasn't been a good Premier League player since 2020, early 2020. Um, It's a good point for for Burnley, without question. They're second bottom, ahead of Sheffield United, only on goal difference. I think I said they were bottom earlier. They're second bottom. It doesn't look good. It really doesn't look good for them this year. Doesn't look good for any of the newly promoted teams. But at least they are they are all starting to make a bit of a fist of it. Four points in the last three games for Burnley. It's an improvement. When you consider they took four from the previous four uh, 13 games, it's an improvement. But they'll need to do better. Brighton really need to do better. I know they're eight, and that's positive. And they have turned things around a little bit of late. They've taken eight points from the last five games. But you've got to be beating teams like Burnley at home. You really have to be beating teams like Burnley at home. Moving on. Sheffield United won Brentford nil. James McAtee with an absolutely outstanding goal on the stroke of half time. Lovely curled finish from the angle of the penalty area. Really, really nice goal. Um, Good performance by Sheffield United. Now, to be fair to Brighton, they're missing so many players. They've got two midfielders playing at fullback. They're missing their best centre-back, and I think probably their second best centre-back as well. They're missing Jensen. 
they were missing Mbomo. There's obviously no Ivan Tony. There's no Shade. They still went there and, and gave it a go, but they were there for the picking. And to be fair to Sheffield United, they picked them off. Sheffield United remained bottom of the league, but it's a win. It's a confidence-boosting win. And if they look at the table right now, they can hope to maybe maybe go and sneak something at Stamford Bridge, though it's very unlikely. And then they'll beat they'll they'll look to beat Luton at home on the 26th of December. And we'll see how they do then in January, where they've got to be active. Like they really have to be active. And the problem for them is that. The group above the relegation zone with Everton in 17th. There's only really Palace and Forest currently that you'd look at and say, yeah, they could fall into it. But at the same time, you'd probably back them based on the talent they have to be able to withstand a late surge from one of Burnley, Luton or Sheffield United, especially Palace. Now, Palace have a seven-point gap on Luton. Forest have a five-point gap on Luton. Add one to get to Burnley and Sheffield United. Both Palace and Forest have lost four of the last five. Neither of them have won a game in the last five Brentford have also lost four or five, but they at least have won one of them. But Palace and Forest do just look a little bit hopeless at the moment. And there's clearly issues behind the scenes at, at Palace with Hodgson and some of the comments he's made. And with Forest, there's been reports, again, of pressure on Steve Cooper. And this time they've come from John Percy, who doesn't report things that aren't factual. Sheffield United have to be looking at those two clubs, Palace and Forest, and thinking if, we, if we're going to stay up, that's who we've got to overhaul. Because Everton are not going to finish in the bottom four. They're just not. So it's Palace and Forest plus the relegation teams. That's basically who the the plus the promoted teams, rather. That's who the relegation group is going to come from this year. Uh, Let's move on. Oh, Manchester United nil, Bournemouth three. That scoreline flattered United massively. This could have been five or six. This could have been five or six. Bournemouth actually had a fourth goal ruled out. Um for an accidental handball. But United were a shambles. An absolute shambles. This was a disgraceful performance. And there's no excuses for it. None at all. I don't know what goes on in Eric Ten Hag's head, but he starts a game with Maguire and Luke Shaw as his centre-back pairing while having Raphael Varane on the bench. He then takes off Luke Shaw and he brings on Johnny Evans while again having Raphael Varane on the bench. Kobe Manu 
who we were been told was the best young midfielder that's ever lived a couple of weeks ago, on the bench doesn't get a look in. Rashford and 80 million striker Rasmus Hoysland on the bench. Anthony Martial somehow still getting games at United. David Ornstein reporting today that United will not be picking up the option on Martial's contract, so he'll be free to leave at the end of the season. But I just don't understand how he's starting games. I don't understand how Anthony is starting games. I really don't get it. But as I said during the week, when Scott McTominay is your top scorer, you've definitely got problems. We're 16 games into the season and United have a negative goal differential. They've lost seven times in 16 games. Seven times in 16 games. And it's not like they're having roaring campaigns outside the Premier League either. They're facing elimination in the Champions League and not the type of elimination where you drop into the Europa League. They're facing been out of Europe entirely. Three defeats, by the way, in that competition as well. And then obviously they went out of the League Cup spanked by Newcastle at their own place. Now, they will get a little bit of an FA Cup run because they're drawn away to play Wigan, so they should get through to the fourth round at least. But you're looking at a team that's played 23 games in all competitions and has lost 11 of them. And has only won 11 of them. And has one draw. And over those 23 games has a negative goal difference. And defensively, look a shambles. United have conceded just this season in 23 games, 38 goals. 38 goals. While scoring 33. A minus five goal differential across all competitions this season. I I don't care what mental gymnastics United fans try and do. This guy is not cut out for that job. And I saw Goldbridge the other day after this shambolic performance make reference to how under Mourinho... United went to the Etihad, went 2-0 down, came back and won 3-2, and then lost to West Brom um, a couple of days later at home. And West Brom were getting relegated that season. And he said, oh, this is just how Manchester United are. The issues with the players. The players don't have the mentality. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I went and I looked. Following players are still at Manchester United from then until now. Victor Lindelof, Anthony Martial, Luke Shaw, Scott McTominay, and Marcus Rashford. Five players. That's all that's still at the club. And the only one who played in both the defeat 
the, the both games back then and both games now, that City and West Brom game and this most recent, you know, beat Chelsea, lose to Bournemouth shenanigans. The only player that played in both was Rashford. And funnily enough, he wasn't a starter in those those games or these games. So it can't be the players because it's not the same players. It just isn't the same players. And if we look at this team, he signed Onana. He signed Regulon. He signed Amrabat. He signed Anthony. So there's four of his players in that team. Diogo Delo, I think, has been one of the few good players for United this season. This manager has done everything possible to disparage and ruin Harry Maguire. I'm told Luke Shaw is the best left back in the world. But he's playing him at centre-back. He picked Luke Shaw out of position. Scott McTominay has been one of their best players this year. Bruno Fernandes is their best player. I'm told Garnacho's the best young wide player in the world. And then there's Martial. Did I name him as one of the ones that's still there? If not, he he's one of the ones that's still there. Now, him, you could absolutely point to. Lindelof, I'm not sure there's an issue with Lindelof's mentality. He's also not been part of this mess. I'm not sure there's an issue with Marcus Rashford's mentality. And again, not starting. So I don't really understand how Goldbridge can say it's the players when the playing staff has been turned over. They sacked Mourinho because he wasn't up to it. Now, Mourinho did a lot better than this fella, but he wasn't up to it, ultimately. Now, there are many, many issues at United, but undeniably, Eric Ten Hag is one of them. Undeniably. Losing 3-0 at home to Bournemouth is flat-out embarrassing. Dominic Slanky opened the scoring on five minutes after comical defending from United. Lewis Cook, just just through pure desire, sprinting past half the team. Philip Billing made it two on 68, and Marcus Sinisi made it three on 73, both from very simple crosses into the box that could easily have been dealt with and were not dealt with. And like I say, Bournemouth could have scored two or three more. They had one disallowed. Solanke missed a good chance. They just uh, they hit the, they hit the hit the post or the crossbar. United are just not good. They're not good at all. And it's just funny to see people try and make excuses for them. Last game on Saturday, Aston Villa off the back of their big win over Manchester City get another big win and beat Arsenal 1-0. John McGinn with the only goal of the game on seven minutes. Arsenal did create some chances, more certainly than City, but at the same time, they looked really vulnerable to Villa's counter-attack. 
And while Arsenal fans have found, you know, a couple of reasons to cry, there's nothing that went against them in the game that wasn't the correct decision. Bar maybe, maybe the shout for a penalty. Now, I've only seen the replay twice. I'd like to see more angles of it. But, I mean, the the Kai Havertz disallowed goal is a blatant handball by Kai Havertz. He handles about three different times. So, obviously, that was called for a handball. And Jared Gillett is looking at it. It's 20 yards away. He can clearly see Kai Havertz slap at the ball, make a slapping motion at the ball. It's a clear handball. Why would it not be ruled out? I don't really understand how Arsenal fans are upset by that. They've also tried to get themselves upset that another goal that they scored, which was ruled out for offside, which was clearly offside, was ruled out for offside. They didn't even look at it. Yes, they did. They look at everything. They look at everything. And it was clearly offside. I'm not sure how Arsenal fans could be upset with the fact that they lost at the weekend. I really don't understand how they could be because the referee got the big decisions right, bar maybe the penalty. And if that is the wrong decision, then yeah, fair enough. Then you have reason to be annoyed. But you know what? You'd still be second with that draw. So does it really make a difference? At this point in time, it might come the end of the season, but for now, it doesn't. You'd still be second. But huge credit needs to go to Aston Villa. They're third in the Premier League, and they weren't third in the Premier League. They've been really, really good. They're brilliant at home. They're well organized. They play a really nice brand of football. That midfield pairing of Kamara and Luis is one of the two best midfield pairings in the league this year, along with Basuma and Saar at Spurs. And frankly, I, I was, I've been really impressed with them over the last two games to the point where I do think, for now, we need to talk about them in the title race because they're only two points off top. They're only... Two points off top. And they go Brentford next. They're still going to be missing a bunch of players. Then Sheffield United at home. Then United away. And then Burnley home. I mean, you're you're kind of expecting them to win all four of those. Given the injuries to Brentford, how poor United are and the fact they can't beat anyone in the top half, and then it's Sheffield United and Burnley at home. You're sort of expecting them to win all four. And that could be, make things really interesting, especially if they go on strengthen in January. Uh, moving on, Luton won Manchester City 2. Luton went 1-0 up through Adebayo. Really nice goal. Brilliant from Barkley in the middle of the park. Ball gets shifted to, to the right. Works its way to Andros Townsend. Gorgeous cross. Just the perfect cross. Very Bakayo Saka-esque cross. Adebayo out jumps Ruben Diaz and makes it 1-0. But City just turned turned things up in the second half. Bernardo scores on 62 after good work by Rodri. 
And then Jack Grealish uh, gets the winner on 65. A nice finish after a good sweeping move. Uh, City get a deserved win. Like, it was a deserved win. We shouldn't pretend otherwise. But Luton did cause them a lot of trouble. Luton did make it very uncomfortable for them. Um, City needed that win, having not won in their previous four games. They're two points behind Villa, three behind Arsenal, four behind Liverpool. They do now go to play in the World Club Cup. They have Red Star away and then then Palace home. And then they go to play in the World Club Cup. So the Brentford game is postponed. Then they come back for Everton away, which is going to be tough. And uh, Sheffield United home. And that will get them through to the end of the year. They will not end the year top of the table, but I still think they'll win the league. Um, Moving on. Everton 2, Chelsea 0. Everton are playing outstanding football. And Everton have won four of their last five. And if Everton hadn't cheated to stay in the division, well, they wouldn't be in the division, but if they hadn't cheated, Everton would currently sit 10th. 10th on 23 points. Everton have taken four points more than Chelsea this season. Just just consider that. Everton have taken four points more than Chelsea this season and would be 10th in the league if not for the fact that they cheated a couple of years ago. Sean Dyche is doing an incredible job. And right now, I would have Sean Dyche third on my manager of the season uh, rank. Emery one, Marco Silva two, Dyche three. Although, now that I look at it, now that I look at it, Everton would be ahead of Fulham without the points deduction. So maybe Dyche has to go two and Silva goes three. But either way, great win for Everton. Decoure on 54, comedic goalkeeper from Robert Sanchez. And what a moment for Lewis Dobbin as he gets his first Premier League goal on 92 minutes. Homegrown lad scoring at Goodison in front of a raucous crowd. What a, what a couple of days for Everton. Smashed the tune and now beat Chelsea at home as well. I thought they'd beat Chelsea. I said it on on Friday's pod. I think I think I picked them to win, but I thought they'd lose to Newcastle. But there's not a chance they're going down. Unless they get a raft of injuries or another points deduction, they're not going down. They really are not going down. They're they're what I hoped they would be. They're showing the quality in that squad. And Dwight McNeil is playing tremendous football at the moment. Genuinely tremendous football at the moment. And long may it continue. Right on to our last two games. And it appears we have created a monster in Fulham. For the second time in a couple of days, Fulham win 5-0 at home, this time hammering West Ham. Raul Jimenez put them one up on 22 minutes, a nice header from a Jopelinia cross. Willian made it two on 41. Tosin Adabaro, Adabaro made it three on 41. Great to see him back playing. 
Harry Wilson should have made it four after a lovely little spin gave him a shooting opportunity, but then he did make it four with an absolute worldie on 60, just in that Harry Wilson spot that he really likes, just outside the box, over in the right corner, buries it in the net. Great goal. And Carlos Vinicius wrapped it up after a very unselfish play from Wilson when he broke through, through the keeper, slid it sideways, Vinicius tapped home to give Fulham a, a convincing heavy win that really did ask some big questions about West Ham. Now, obviously West Ham got a great result in the week, beating Spurs, but this is a massive blow to them. On the topic of Spurs, they beat Newcastle 4-1. Destiny Adoji on 26 after dreadful defending from Kieran Trippier. Richarlison on 38 after dreadful defending from Kieran Trippier. Richarlison again on 60. How bad must your defence be if you're letting Richarlison score twice? And then Youngman Son from the penalty spot on 85 after he had been brought down by Dubravka. Jolington did score late to give Newcastle a little bit of consolation, but not a whole lot. A very bad few days for the tune. After such a good performance in their win over Manchester United, these are just two desperate performances. Now, they are racked with injuries at the moment, but they're getting players back as well. You know, they've got Wilson back. They've got Isak back. The Botman injury is massive for them. He's so important to them defensively. They've still only conceded 21 goals this year, which is worth mentioning. But the defensive performance in the last the last game and a half has just been shocking. So we end up Liverpool top, Arsenal a point behind, Villa a further point behind, and City two points behind them. And that's your top four. Then it's Spurs on 30 points, United on 27, Newcastle 26, Brighton 26, West Ham 24, Fulham 21, Brentford and Chelsea both on 19. Brentford have a slightly better goal difference because Chelsea just aren't very good. Then it's Wolves also 19, Bournemouth also 19, along with Aston Villa and Liverpool, the most informed team in the Premier League with 13 points from the last 15 available, which, you know, when you consider that in their first 14 games, they took, sorry, first 11 games, yeah, first 11 games, uh, they took five points. What a turnaround by Andoni Iraola. What an incredible turnaround they've had. It's great to see because they obviously made a big, brave decision in the summer to move on from Gary O'Neill and bring in a manager who hadn't worked in the Premier League before. They've taken a lot of criticism for it, but they're level on points with Wolves. They're level on points with Wolves. So any of the, they should have kept Gary O'Neill nonsense can probably be put in the bin now. Then it's Crystal Palace on 16, Nottingham Forest on 14, Everton on 13. Just to reiterate, Everton would be 10th if they hadn't been deducted 10 points. Then Luton on 9, Burnley and Sheffield United on 8. Just to compare where the top teams are in comparison to last season. So this time last season, 16 games in, Arsenal 
had played 16 games, won 13, drawn one, and lost two. Scored 38, conceded 14, and had 40 points. This season, they're second. 11 wins, so two less. Three draws, so two more. Same number of defeats. Five goals less scored. One goal more conceded. And four points less in the league. So they've dropped a little bit. Manchester City were second. They had 12 wins, two defeats, two draws. They'd scored 47, which was ludicrous. They'd conceded 17, and they had 38 points. This season, 10 wins, two... So 10 wins, three defeats, three draws. Scored 38, so nine less. Conceded 18, so one more. 33 points. They're five points worse off. So people are talking about City with this massive drop-off. Their drop-off is only one point more than Arsenal. Now, they're 10 goals worse off in the aggregate than Arsenal last season. Arsenal are six goals worse off. Newcastle were third. Nine wins, six draws, one defeat. Scored 34, conceded 12, 33 points. This season, eight wins, two draws, six defeats. Six defeats. So five defeats more than this time last year. They've scored 33 goals, so only one less, but conceded 21, so nine more. And they're seven points worse off than they were at this time last year. Here's one that'll shock you, I think. Ange has done a brilliant job. And there's the opinion that Spurs were awful through all of last year. This time last year, Spurs were fourth. Nine wins, two draws, five defeats. Scored 33, conceded 25. 29 points. This season, nine wins, one draw, sorry, three draws, four defeats. Scored 33, same. Conceded 23. Two better off. 30 points. They're one point and two goals better off than they were at this time last year. One point and two goals. The opinion is that they're much better. Now, they're much better to watch, but results-wise, they're about the same as they were last year. Manchester United were fifth, eight wins, four draws, four defeats, Scored 23, conceded 23, points 28. This season, nine wins, so one more. No draws, seven defeats. Seven defeats. Scored 18, so five less. Conceded 21, so actually two less than this time last year. But a minus three goal differential is three worse than last year. And they're only one point behind where they were at this time last year. Which goes to show, they were awful this time last year as well. They're awful. They are genuinely terrible. Brighton were sixth. 
Eight wins, three draws, five defeats, 26 and 19, 27 points. This season, seven wins, five draws and four defeats. They haven't had to change manager this year, which is a plus. They've scored more goals. They've scored seven goals more, but they've conceded nine goals more. So they're actually two goals worse off overall and one point worse off with 26. But you want to talk about improvement. This time last year, Liverpool had won seven, drawn five, lost four, scored 30, conceded 17 for a plus 13 goal difference, and they had 26 points. This season, they've won 11, drawn four, lost only one, and it was controversial, scored 36, so six more, conceded 15, so two less, eight goals, and 11 points better off. Eight goals and 11 points better off than they were this time last year. Brentford, they're three points worse off, but one goal better off. Fulham, one point worse off, one goal better off. Chelsea, three points better off. Sorry, sorry. Three points worse off, one goal better off. And then here's the second huge jump. Aston Villa. This time last year, six wins, three draws, seven defeats, scored 18, conceded 23, minus five. This season, 11 wins, two draws, three defeats, scored 35, conceded 20, plus 15 and 35 points. They're 14 points better off and 20 goals better off. Slightly better defensively, much better going forward. What a turnaround. What an incredible turnaround. Crystal Palace, they are four points worse off and four goals worse off. Leeds were 13th at this point last season. Leeds were 13th. They were six points clear of the relegation zone. So let that be a warning to the likes of Forest and Palace. Leicester were 14th. They were only four points clear. But again, let that be a warning to Forest. Then it was Bournemouth. They were 15th. They're currently 14th. They had four wins, four draws, eight defeats, conceded 18, sorry, scored 18, conceded 34, minus 16 and 16 points. This season, five wins, four draws, seven defeats, scored 21, so they're three goals better off that way, conceded 30, so four goals better off that way for a seven-goal swing, and they have three points more. Uh, West Ham, they're obviously doing a lot better this year. They're 10 points better off and five goals better off. <clears throat> Everton, now, again, you're factoring in they've had 10 points deducted. So they're actually one point worse off, but they would be nine points better off. Nine points better off. 
and they're 10 goals better off. Forrester are one point better off than they were this time last year, but nine goals better off. Southampton obviously got relegated. Wolves were bottom after 20 games last season. Sorry, after 16 games last season. Wolves were bottom. They had two wins. This season, they've got five. Four draws, that's the same. So they're nine points better off. And they're 13 goals better off. So they're another big improvement this year. So you're looking at Liverpool, Villa, West Ham, Everton, and Wolves as big improvements this year from last year. Nobody has had a catastrophic drop from where they were last year. As bad and all as United and Chelsea have been, they're about the same as they were this time last year. Arsenal are worse. Newcastle are worse. They're the the biggest drop-off, is Newcastle. City are worse. Tottenham are about the same. United about the same. Brighton about the same. There has been no massive drop-off this season, bar Newcastle at seven points. But there's been a bunch of teams that have improved greatly. Now, the problem is that there's been a lot of small little drops. But all things considered, I think the league is shaping up quite well. We're definitely going to get some variation of title race. There's going to be a battle for fourth. There'll be a battle for fifth, sixth and seventh in the Europa spots. And then we may yet get a relegation battle. Now, we might not. We might not. It's worth pointing out that Luton now have one point less than Wolves, who were bottom then, did at that point. But still, we might we might get some sort of scrap down the bottom. Right, we'll go to break. When we come back, uh, news and gossip. So I'll see you after this. Right, welcome back. So on to the news. Scott McTominay says the players at Manchester United are firmly behind Eric Ten Hag, despite their 11th defeat in 23 games and absolutely nothing of note from any of the players to suggest that they're actually trying for this manager. McTominay, who's getting a run in the team, is probably the worst person you could have asked right now because he's an uber club man and he's one of the few players benefiting from this manager. So... I'm not really going to put too much into that. They don't play like a team who are behind the manager. Simple as that. They don't play like a team who are behind the manager. Now, obviously, we've seen in the past them give up on managers. They gave up on Oli. They gave up on Ranić. They gave up on Moyes. Obviously, different players under Moyes, but they gave up. There's something rotten in that club. But the manager is not good. Simple as that. And the manager is also a little bit deluded because he's come out and said that his team can beat anybody. Manchester United can beat any opponent, he says. If we are in the right spirit, we are able to beat any opponent. Well, results suggest not. You haven't beaten anybody good this year. So... 
I mean, you can beat bad teams. You haven't beaten anybody. You haven't even beaten anybody decent this season in any competition. So I think Eric Ten Hag is very much scrambling to try and keep hold of his job. Greek football will be played behind closed doors for two months, not for any specific club, for all of them. Top flight football in Greece will be played behind closed doors for the next two months in an effort to clamp down on violence at sporting events. The Greek government took action after a police officer was severely injured in violent clashes during a game between Olympiakos and Panikonaitos. Now, you might think violent clashes between two big rivals, that's not out of the ordinary. This was a volleyball game. A volleyball game. And the fans turned up and went bananas and rioted and beat lumps of each other. And then a policeman got badly injured, which is obviously unacceptable. Uh, Hooliganism has marred Greek football in recent years. And last year, the government increased the maximum sentence for crimes of fan violence from six months to five years after another fatal stabbing. Like, frankly, it should be an awful lot more after something like that, but Jesus wept. Like, in October, Olympiakos and Panikonaitis played, and the game had to be abandoned because the player got struck by a firework. And now these fans are showing up at volleyball matches to beat lumps out of each other. Mental. Girona are top of La Liga, two points ahead of Real Madrid, Seven points clear of Atleti. Atleti do have a game in hand. And seven points clear of Barcelona. After their win at the Camp Nou. Not the Camp Nou, because they're not playing at the Camp Nou. They're playing at, is it the Olympic Stadium in Barcelona? Is where Barca are currently playing. Uh, Lewandowski and Gundogan scored for Barcelona. But Dovbic, Gutierrez, Fernandez, and Stuani scored for Girona. What a, what a season. What an absolutely ludicrous season Girona are having. And like you look at their team and it's not a team of star names. Like Gassaniga, we all remember. Uh, Blind, we all remember. Tiankov is good. Eric Garcia, we all remember. Like, But these are cast-offs in the Premier League. And they're all doing really, really well. And Barca, I mean, they didn't have Ter Stegen. He was absent. But Kunde, Arejo, Christensen, and Canseo played as a back four. That's their starting defense. Balde was on the bench because Xavi prefers to play Canseo for some reason. In midfield, they had Pedri, Frankie de Jong, and Ilke Gundogan. Now, there's no defensive midfielder in there, and Frankie is not good defensively, despite claims that he is. But, I mean, Gavi's missing, but does he start in that team? I'm not sure he does over any of those three, as good as he is. You had Romeo on the bench, you had Sergio Roberto on the bench. In attack, they had Rafinha, Lewandowski, and Joe Felix. And off the bench, 
they had Ferran Torres, Yamal, and Lopez. Like, that's... They're missing Gavi and Marc-Andre Testegen, but they're fairly close to full strength, and they're getting beaten 4-2 at home. What a win. Eric Bailly is among five players who've been excluded from the Besiktas squad. Vincent de Bubakar, Rashid Gazelle, formerly of Leicester, John Onana and Valentin Rosier have also been dropped. The decision was made because of poor performance and inc- incompatibilities with the team. Our work reca- regarding recruitment for the new squad structure continues. The club stated. Um, I mean... Baez only played a handful of games. They're being made to train away from the squad for the foreseeable future. They're 14 points off the top two. They're out of the Conference League. They're having a bad season. But three of them only joined this past summer. So to turn around and say that you're recruiting for a new squad structure and those players are just being banished is really, really strange. Like, Eric Bailly is a good defender. Vincent Abubakar is a good player. John Onan is a very good player. But the other two have been there longer, so you you know you could say, okay, fair enough. But it's that's a very, very bizarre situation. And... They have only recently appointed a new manager. Um, He's been in charge for five games. So this is obviously his decision. But I'm not sure he's the type of manager I would be giving that sort of power to. I certainly wouldn't be planning for Calambe as the long-term future. Like This is a journeyman manager whose only success in 22 years was winning the Turkish Cup with Sivaspor. Other than that, he's done very, very little. His career win rate from 737 games is under 41%. So I'm really not sure I would be planning to build with him. He was a decent player back in the day, but I wouldn't be planning to build with him as my manager. On to the gossip then. Manchester United and Borussia Dortmund are working on a swap deal which could see Jadon Sancho return to the Bundesliga club with Daniel Malin heading in the opposite direction. That would be a win for Dortmund. Dortmund would also accept an offer of £25.7 million from United for Malin. Chelsea are, prepare- are prepared to pay whatever it takes to sign Victor Osman in January. Um... That is, of course, an exclusive by Steve K. So, you know, he's just made it up. Um, Manchester United are willing to sell Christian Eriksen in the January transfer window. Don't actually believe that story at all, but I do think Eriksen made a huge mistake when he turned his back on Brentford. United and Liverpool have joined a host of top clubs who are targeting Joe Polina. Bayern are unlikely to make a 
second approach for Palinia in January, according to Sky Sports Germany. Manchester United will have to spend $34 million to beat Juventus to the signing of Valencia's Spanish under-21 midfielder, Yavi Guerra. Um, I haven't seen enough of him to know whether or not he's worth that type of money. I know he is highly regarded, but we'll see. Tottenham will consider selling Richarlison in January. No, they won't. Jurgen Klopp has played down suggestions the club will look to replace Joel Matip in January. What I what he actually did is he got asked a question by a journalist he doesn't like, and he snapped at him. Uh, former Wolves boss Julian Lopetegui is open to replacing Steve Cooper as Nottingham Forest manager, having recently recently rejected a lucrative offer from Saudi Arabian club Al Ittihad. Uh, Nottingham Forest captain Joe Worrell has been mani- been monitored by Middlesbrough and Leicester after being excluded from Steve Cooper's first team. He was left out because he wasn't playing well. Aston Villa's French midfielder Morgan Sanson wants to make his perm- his loan move to, to Nice a permanent one. It makes sense for everybody. He didn't work as a Villa player. Bayern Munich, sorry, Barcelona want 13 million from Bayern Munich for Clement Langley. That would be a dreadful signing for Bayern. He's not very good. West Ham are open to offers from Max Cornet. I'd actually completely forgotten that he was still there. I He should be getting games. Like, he should be getting games at the moment. Um, AC Milan and Napoli face competition from several Premier, Premier League clubs for the signing of Monza's Italian goalkeeper, Michele Di Gregorio. Now, I don't know why either of those clubs would want him, considering the AC Milan have Mike Magnon who's one of the five best goalkeepers in the world. And Napoli've got a decent goalkeeper as well So in merit, so I'm not sure why they'd, they'd want him. Manchester United are set to battle with Manchester City for the signing of Lille's French defender Lenny Yarrow. He's super talented. Ivory Coast winger Ahmed Diallo could be loaned again by Manchester United in January if he cannot force his way into first-team reckoning after recovering from injury. He'll be loaned because for him to get games... Anthony would have to step out. And if Anthony's dropped for Diallo, it will look really bad on Ten Hag. But I would much rather have Diallo in my team. Uh, Newcastle Sporting Director Dan Ashford is a target for Manchester United. He's not going to leave Newcastle. I, I, maybe he will. I just don't see it. Barcelona are keen to sign Wilfred Ndidi, who's out of contract in the summer. Um, makes sense. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of clubs made offers for him in January, to be honest. Calvin Phillips is at the top of Manchester United's shopping list for next summer. No, he's not. Manchester United are keeping an eye on Lewis Appenda as they look to replace Jaden Sancho and Anthony Martial. Okay, way to get excited, you know, but not really what you need. Not really what you need at all. He's very good, but United don't need him. They need... They have two really pacey strikers in Hoysland and Rashford. They don't need another one. They need a target man as an alternative off the bench, but they don't need a panda. Um, Newcastle are considering a move for Sam Johnston of Crystal Palace. It could make sense. Manchester City are interested in Club Bruges winger Tajon Buchanan and will have to pay about 50 million 
for the 24-year-old Canadian. 50 million? What? I wouldn't imagine so. Like, I genuinely wouldn't imagine so. Talented player. Not worth anything in the region of that kind of money. Like, 20 million would be a little bit of a push. That's some nonsense. Uh, Newcastle are planning a number of loan signings from the Saudi Pro League. Wolves are preparing a cut price, 7 million offer for Josh Brownhill. I assume he's out of contract next summer. Barcelona president Joan Laporte plans to hold talks over the future of Portuguese duo Joe Felix and Joe Canseo, both of whom are obviously at Barca on loan. Manchester United are leading the race to sign Nice's 23-year-old Jean-Claire Tadebo. Is this Peter Rourke? It is Peter Rourke. So, you know, spoofing. Um, Everton have turned down an offer from Tottenham to alter the terms of the 10 million agreed as part of the transfer of Delhi Ali. I, I mean, at this point, I just want Delhi to go somewhere else and play anywhere and just play. That's all I want for Delhi. Bayern Munich have made Ronald Arejo the top transfer target and could pay a massive fee for the Uruguay defender. Him and Kim would be disgustingly good together. Uh, Manchester United are interested in Serhu Garassi. Reading's 18-year-old forward, Kalen Vickers, is set for a dream move to Real Madrid. Really? I mean, I know the kid's talented. He was linked with Arsenal recently. So I looked him up and asked around. And by all accounts, very, very talented. That, I'm not sure, is is a good move for him. Former Sweden striker Zlatan Ibrahimovic says he is talking to Real Madrid, not to AC Milan, rather, about returning to the club in some capacity. Apparently, he's coming back as an advisor. Juventus are monitoring the situation around uh, Felipe Anderson, former West Ham midfielder, now at Lazio, who's out of contract in the summer. Um, I'd rather he just stay at Lazio, to be honest. I think that's just the club that suits him. Latour Martinez is not sure if a contract renewal with Inter Milan will be completed before Christmas, but he says that the deal is close. He just seems to love being there. Barcelona boss Xavi says the club are not looking to bring in a goalkeeper to cover for the back injury suffered by Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. That feels like it might be a bit of a mistake that could haunt them, though they should still get top four this year. Rafael Varane could leave Manchester United in January as he is not on good terms with Eric Ten Hag. Probably because he's worked under great managers and can spot a spoofer. Tottenham now lead Newcastle in the race to sign Samuel Illing Jr. from Juventus, very very talented player. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing him back in the Premier League or back in England. To be honest, he's one of the kids that was in the Chelsea academy and decided that it wasn't the place for him. But very very talented, quick, great dribbler, plays either side. Yeah, I think he could be a. A good get for somebody. Tottenham, Newcastle and Manchester United are interested in Valencia and Georgia goalkeeper Georgie Mamardashvili. Spurs definitely aren't. 
They signed a really, really good goalkeeper in the summer. They're fine. The tune I could definitely see. I just don't see United signing another goalkeeper. Uh, Fulham are stepping up their interest in Laharve's 21-year-old Senegalese centre-half, Aruna Sangante. Now, I haven't seen much of him, but that could be quite the step up. Quite the step up. Uh, Fulham have shown interest in Andre of Fluminense, who I, I expect that's where he ends up. Uh, Liverpool are among Premier League clubs who are interested in Maximilian Bayer, who's expected to leave Hoffenheim next summer. Now, he's having a very good season. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Liverpool are, are going to be interested in bringing in the forward player. I think a winger, maybe, but not another kind of guy who plays through the middle. Everton are prepared to sell Ben Godfrey to Tottenham if a January bit, in January if a bit is submitted. Ben Godfrey's a good defender. Um, if, I, if I were Everton, I'd be keeping him because you, you're desperately short of depth. Manchester United have offered to double the wages of Ronald Arehu, who is not interested in a January move to Bayern Munich. I don't think he's going to be interested in a move to United either. Chelsea Liverpool are keeping tabs on Inter Milan and Turkey midfielder Hakan, Hakan Chalanoglu. No, they're not. That's utter nonsense. French forward Matthias Tell has decided to stay at Bayern Munich until at least the summer, despite many clubs inquiring about a loan. Super talented. He's going to need games at some point. Chelsea have entered talks with Palmieri's over a deal to sign Brazilian winger Estevão. I can't imagine a worse move for that kid. Genuinely, I can't imagine a worse move. Like, they've already signed Kendry Paez, who plays a similar position. And they've got 43 wingers as it is. Would be a really, really poor move on that kid's behalf. Uh, manager Mikel Arteta has managed has invited Arsenal legend Dennis Burkamp to return to the club as part of the academy staff. Uh, that's another exclusive from Steve Kay, um, who, you know, I mean, the guy is just a complete spoofer. Before we go, I want to finish on this. I want to just mention the Joey Barton thing because he, he has been annoying the piss out of me for days now on Twitter. Joey Barton is, as, a, as an individual, he is a toe rag. Joey Barton had the talent to be a very good footballer and have a very good career. And in a recent post on Twitter, he described himself as having had a fantastic career but he didn't have a fantastic career. And when I saw Paddy Kenny tune in and announce that Joey Barton was a top, top player, I just thought, you know what? You lot, you live in your own deluded world. Joey Barton had a below average career in the Premier League. Joey Barton massively, massively underachieved for the talent that he had as a footballer. Joey should have won 50-plus caps for England. He could have been potentially the solution to the Gerard Lampard midfield as that sitting ball-winning type. He was a really good ball winner. He's a very good passer of the ball as well. But what Joey Barton did was he threw away his career. 
He's thrown away his career. City binned him off at 25. He went to Newcastle. He flopped there. He got sent to QPR. He only really made any impact on QPR in the championship. He was very, very poor for them in the Premier League. Had a failed loan spell at Marseille. Did well for Burnley in the championship. Was voted one of the biggest flops in the history of Scottish football during a failed spell at Rangers. And then finished off with Burnley before getting banned and ending his career with a ban for gambling. So, let's recap. Had no real England career. One cap. One cap. Was two under 21 caps and one senior cap. Was basically ruled out of consideration because of his behaviour. Because of the things that he did to others off the pitch. And some of his behaviour on the pitch. In 2007, he was fined £100,000, which bear in mind was probably about five weeks wages for him at the time for assaulting Usman Dabo. Dabo said he was hit several times, left unconscious, and had to go to hospital after suffering injuries to his head, including a suspected detached retina. Dabo requested the police press charges against Barton, and as a result, Barton was arrested and questioned by Greater Manchester Police. This altercation ended Barton's time at City. Barton later cited a relationship breakdown with Stuart Pearce as the main reason he left the club, refusing to take responsibility for what he did. He got a four-month suspended prison sentence for that. And he was fined another 25 grand by the FA. And Man City booted him out the door. And foolishly, foolishly, Newcastle paid nearly six million for him. Very, very foolish. He went to Newcastle and he flopped. And they got relegated. And he was barely in the team. And then he barely played a role in their championship promotion. And then he played a couple of years with them in the Premier League. One year with them in the Premier League was poor. And then at the age of 29, with a year left on his contract, Newcastle said, you know what? We've had enough of Joey Barton. And they binned him off. And he went to QPR on a free at 29, where he promptly got relegated for the second time. But big for his boots, Barton, he wasn't going to play in the championship. He was too good for the championship. So off he went on loan to Marseille. And the only notable thing about his time at Marseille is that time he did the stupid accent in a press conference. It's the only notable thing. He went back to QPR. He played a big role in them getting promoted. So congrats to him for that. Then he played in the Premier League and he wasn't good enough. Then he went to Burnley and he played in the Championship 
and he wasn't good enough. You know, sorry, to be fair, he was good that year. But Burnley didn't want to keep him. Burnley decided he wasn't for them. So off he went to Rangers, where he flopped, and then he re-signed with Burnley, and then he was promptly banned from playing. The two most notable things that people remember about Joey Barton's career, more than anything else, more than anything else, more than his 435 club games, more than his 37 club goals, more than his one cap for England. The two things people remember are his disgusting antics on the final day of the 2011-12 season. Where his team were fighting to stay in the division and he let them all down by getting himself sent off and then going around trying to start fights with all the Man City players. And he let his team down that day. I was wrong. They didn't get relegated that season. They got relegated the following year while he was off on on his loan spell at Marseille because QPR had had enough of him, so they binned him off. That and the stupid accident at Marseille, they're the two things that come to mind when you think about Joey Barton's career. And he thinks he had a fantastic career. Then he became a manager. Surprised everybody when Fleetwood Town appointed him as manager. And you would think that his behaviour would probably improve now that he's a manager. On the 13th of April 2019, following a 4-2 away defeat to Barnsley, South Yorkshire Police launched an investigation after Barnsley, uh, sorry, after Barton allegedly assaulted opposition manager Daniel Stendhal. Barton was charged with causing actual bodily harm and bailed until the 9th of October. He pled not guilty. He appeared in court. He pled not guilty. And the club fired him. Now, he was cleared of the assault, but that doesn't mean he didn't do it. But you're the manager. How are you getting yourself caught up in that? Then he gets the Bristol job, and to his credit, he does a decent job with Bristol. But he still lasts, what, two and a half years? From 271 matches managed, he's won 104 and lost 101, a 38.4% win rate. Hardly the stuff of legends. And he's very unlikely to get another match, or another, another gig rather. So what we have is a very disappointing career based on the talent and potential of what he could have been. And a mediocre managerial career. Is that fair to say? Mediocre? I mean, you know, a couple of third flight teams. Now, of late, Joey Barton is back making noise. But, you know, the last time we really heard much of anything about him because he was quiet when he was at Bristol Rovers just got on with his work 
But it's not long since he was up again for assault. This time of of a woman who he allegedly kicked he kicked his wife in the head and grabbed her by the throat. You know, beat up his wife apparently. So he's not likely to get another job because his behavior is going to rule him out. So what he's done is he set himself up a little podcast. I'm not the fair play, you know, fair play. But he needs to promote this podcast. So to do that, he's trying to get himself attention in the dumbest way possible, which is by making himself out to be an absolute plank on Twitter. And what he's coming across as is like, a cross between Tommy Robinson and what you'd get if you ordered Conor McGregor off Wish. That's basically, or Timu, or one of those kind of sites, you know? That's basically what you're getting from Joey Bart. Half Tommy Robinson, half Conor McGregor. And a lot of the language he's using is, is quite concerning. It's very misogynistic in the way he goes about his business. And he's calling himself the king of Twitter and saying that back in the day he was the original king of Twitter. Back in the day he was a laughingstock on Twitter. He used to try and quote philosophy from like the one book he's read in his entire life. And he tries to bring himself across as some like highly intelligent person. He just ends up sounding like a fool. Joey Barton had a career. Lots of players have careers. And lots and lots of them have better careers than you. None of them go on Twitter and embarrass themselves in the same way you do, Joey. None of them. And you're sitting there and you're calling for certain women who work in football in, you know, presenting or commentating to debate you. Why would they debate you? You're beneath them. You're beneath them. Now, I can only assume that Joey Barton thought he'd get a job on Sky or somewhere and is very upset that he's not able to get one. So now he's trying to get a job on GB News or somewhere like that. But there's no place in football for people like Joey Barton. None. This is also a man who, remember, once stubbed a cigar out in somebody's eye, a young teammate. That's the kind of guy he is. And it was always said that Joey Barton, underneath it all, was actually a nice guy. He was just troubled. And people would talk of the good things he did around the city of Liverpool, including helping out with the Hillsborough Justice campaign and never looking for any kind of praise or, or noise around it. But now all he wants is noise. Now all he wants is attention. And I know I'm giving him the attention by talking about him, but it just annoys me so much. And then he comes out with such nonsense, like how, you know, it, these men who've had great careers can't get jobs as pundits. The reason they can't get jobs as pundits, Joey, is because they're crap. We've got enough crap ex-footballer pundits without having more of them. And he talks about box ticking. And he's not just talking about with women there. He's talking about with minorities as well. 
and he accused a Manchester United fan, well-known United fan who works in the fan media sphere, of hating whites. And that's the type of line that's always said by someone that's the wrong side of the racial divide. Let's not forget that he recently did a podcast where he excused his brother murdering somebody in a racially charged assault as losing 17 years of their life for a scrap. That's the type of person he is. So the best thing we can all do is just block Joey Barton and filter him out again and forget he exists because his career is forgettable. Let's make him as a person forgettable as well. I'll see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.